I want you to be honest with yourself for a moment. Do you think that you are on target with the man who God intended you to be? Or do you find yourself missing that mark more often than you'd even like to admit? Because if you are, I just want to tell you right now, brother, you are not alone. In fact, if you're anything like me, you can probably name five areas in your life where you were just a little bit off target just today. We all know just how easy it is to miss that mark. You know, the mark of true, authentic, and God-inspired masculinity. Luckily, we have men like Vince Dacchioli who are dedicated to helping men get on target. In fact, Vince is the founder and the president of On Target Ministries, a Christian outreach to men, pastors, and couples. And today, Vince is here to help us get on target so that we can become the men God created us to be. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Becoming Men podcast brought to you by TheBecomingMen.com. I am your host, Ray De La Nuez, and this is the podcast for men on their masculine journey, men who are becoming the man God created them to be. I'm so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Vince Dacchioli. How's it going? I, you didn't say that right. Uh, so, okay. here, so here, here, here you go. You know, right, so, you have up. to understand you're talking to an Italian. That's right. So, yeah, so can I greet you? Can I greet you in my native language? I, I would be offended if you didn't. All right. How you doing? <laughs> That's the only Italian I know, by the way, Ray. I mean, I did. How you doing? You know, forget about it. Those are the only two things I know. It's uh, an honor to be to be on with you, and um, I'm going to be praying that uh, you're. Um, your outreach expands greatly because there's such a tremendous need right now. Um, I won't go into my whole backstory. If, uh, if if someone wants to know more about me, they can do actually what you did. They can go to otm.co, which is our website. And I think in the video area, there's actually a uh, like a half hour TV documentary that kind of talks about my life. And uh, you probably heard about Uncle Louie. Oh, yeah, I did. Mafia background and all of that. And uh, yeah, the FBI nicknamed him Louis the couch. Oh my gosh. He was some, but I, I grew up with some pretty bad influences and were it not for the grace of God, I would not be alive today, but that's another story. I won't take the time to tell here uh, because I really want to cut to the, to the main point. I, I really believe the Lord wants me to, wants me to communicate, but I, I left the business world in 89, uh, went to, to work with a, a ministry in Southern California called every home for Christ ended up being with them for five years, moved them and about 30 families to Colorado Springs, Colorado, back in 91, uh, the same time that uh, the Dobsons moved focused on the family here. So we were part of that wave of ministries that moved in here. And then um, in 94, uh, it was the beginning of what we call the men's ministry movement uh, back in the early 90s. I was a, an early part of that, felt called to leave and start uh, on target ministries, which we've been doing ever since 1994. And the in the uh, later in the '90s, I was invited to a meeting in um, uh, Asheville, North Carolina, where about 50 men's ministry leaders met, and these were guys like Steve Farrar, Ed Cole, um, you know, Pat Morley. I mean, these were the, the the guys that were on the top of their game when it came to ministry to men. Promise Keepers was there, and we they came up with the idea: what can we do together? that none of us can do alone. And we formed uh, what we now call the National Coalition of Ministries to Men, NCMM. I was one of the original dozen guys or so that put it together and formed the, the board and, um, and incorporated them in Colorado Springs uh, way back then. 
And so I've been a part of the men's ministry movement ever since uh, probably 96, 97. Now, let me say this. Only in America do we call something a movement that does not move. Oof. And uh, and and so men are worse today than they were when all of these ministries began. And listen, this is not a testimony against all of these fine ministries. It's more of a testimony of the power of the culture to pull men away faster than we're able to save them. And one of the major reasons why we have failed um, is because of our inability to, first of all, have the proper connection with the local church, because that's where discipleship really needs to happen. Uh, But in the course of my ministry, I'll just give you one example. In the course of my ministry, and and these are conservative numbers, Ray, we have probably had 20,000 men who have asked Jesus into their heart for the very first time. And you know the myriad of ways that we do that. They can raise their hand. They can come forward. They can look up at you. But we've registered about 20,000. But here's the part that is really frightening. Honestly, if you could somehow find those 20,000 men, I doubt you'd find a hundred of them that are truly what we consider disciples, deep men who are really following Jesus. What a tragedy. The reason why this happened is because those 20,000 men, now listen carefully, were evented. We have a tendency to event men to death, thinking that I can speak and I have to 40,000 guys in an arena is somehow going to produce disciples is crazy. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. It's just another event. Ray, we, we know that a wedding is an event. It is not a marriage, however. And so in order for men to grow, there needs to be process driven strategies in place instead of event driven strategies. So in the year 2000, I'm coming back from speaking at an event and I'm like a lot of guys, I'm a hired gun. They, they, they call me to go speak somewhere, either because people know me or because they think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good speaker, maybe whatever the reason is usually they're for the wrong reasons, but, or, or they maybe like the content or whatever. And so I go speak and then I, and then I go home and I'm flying home on the airplane and I'm thinking now I'm in my mid fifties, you know, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I mean, what, what, what's um, this is on the airplane. I'm having this discussion with myself, you know, by the way, it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you're sure as as long as you're sure it's you. So anyway, so I'm having this conversation and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I mean, I have no idea what fruit came from what I I've just done. So I get home and I called about a dozen of highly respected elder type men in Colorado Springs together and on that on that day in 2000, we f- we started what we now call in our ministry on target institute. And the institute is dedicated to developing curriculum, process driven strategies, understanding. Now, this is a key. I, I have a lot of quotes, but honestly, most of my quotes are really bad. They, they, they're, they're, there's only one. In fact, they suck. I got I to gotta come up with a worse <laughs> word that sucked, but they, they're really bad. There's only one that I really like. Now, now, listen carefully. This is very important. It takes a relational environment in order for truth to become transformational. Let me repeat uh, that. Yeah, please say that again. It takes a relational environment in order for truth to become transformational. Okay, now let's unpack that just for a moment. 
we've got the Bible. Okay. The best, uh, I mean, it's the word of God. I mean, it's the word of uh, it. The Bible is actually a word about the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Such truth has not existed since Jesus walked planet earth. Thank God we had the, we have the Bible, but listen, did you know for, that for three fourths of the history of the church on planet earth, there was no Bible. It begs the question, what did people do? I want to suggest, could it be that the people even before the Bible had a more intimate relationship with the God of the Bible than those since the Bible was produced? Because the Bible, I mean, it's only been uh, a very short time that we've had the word of God, but just having that doesn't guarantee life change. So what we've discovered is it only through men doing life together, taking the word of God, listen, and moving it from life implication to life application in a healthy relational environment. That's the way men grow. So what we've done is we've developed two years worth of curriculum and the messages are 12 minutes. That's it. 12 to 15 minutes in a live in a live setting uh, to give to flip it so that it's not about, you know, a 45, 50 minute message, which most men are not going to remember. And then, oh, by the way, 10 or 15 minutes of discussion. No, you got to give them a nugget or two. That's it. That's all they can process. And then with some with some good questions, put them into a group where they can process that for at least the next hour. Okay. Yes. I'm just thinking of that flight home, right? Because today, Vince, let's be honest. If I pull up a few apps on my phone, I can get a pretty good dose of feeling good, right? So I, I can tell you, I gained 50 new Instagram uh, followers in the last 24 hours. That was, you know, I put out a video last night. A lot of people liked it and they started following me. That feels good, right? Like I see this audience growing and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I got another account that I grew from zero to a couple thousand. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, you know, I, I feel good. But you're telling me that you just got out of an arena or a large event where you just could have told yourself that you just impacted the lives of, you know, tens of thousands of men, but you were dissatisfied because you could not find the direct link to the good fruit. Right. Right. I, I couldn't see it. And wow. nor do I have any confidence that there would be any, because it's just an event. I mean, yeah. if you talk to most wives who have their men go away to a men's weekend retreat. We all know about retreats. Okay. Yeah. If most wives are going to be honest with you, they're going to tell you this, that guy is going to be incredible for two or three days. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. he's right back to where he was before. If he, if he just goes to an event, but that's the way we men think, Oh, Hey, um, uh, you know, I'll never do that again. I'm so sorry. And yeah, until another weak moment, you go back and do it again, or honey, I'm going to be different. I promise you I'm a different man starting today. I'm a different man. I'm a different man. And of course the wife just rolls her eyes and knows in a few days, he's right back away. Why? Because he's not, he, he's not in an accountable, loving relational environment where he can That's be right. encouraged and prayed for, uh, to, to go deeper. And, and so that is what the fundamental problem is. And that why, that's why in our culture, we have a Christianity that it's about a mile wide and a quarter of an inch deep. That's right. We're, we're superficial, uh, right. superficiality, uh, George Foster says is the greatest curse of, of our age. That's you know, right. we need deep people, not people who know the right words to say and all of that. We need people who are deep. So here is the backstory. And I, and, and I must admit, I don't know that I've ever shared this, 
on a national podcast. I think I shared it on a broadcast a couple of weeks ago, but when I was um, in high school, I mean, I, I was just, I was horrible, man. I was just a horrible student. I was a goof off a class clown. I, I flunked out of almost everything. I barely made it through high school. And then um, I'm, I'm working in a paint store, you know, for a paint company in Southern California. By the way, 25 years later, I became vice president and one of five guys running that company. But back then I was a box boy or a salesman and just a goof off. I'd go to sleep in the back room when I had a manager that didn't know what he was doing and couldn't find me. I mean, it was horrible. I tried to go to college. So I went to junior college, you know, and I and I very quickly figured out that if I go to college, uh, the, the teachers didn't care if I was there. So if I didn't show up, it didn't make any difference to them. And I thought, well, that's different because in high school, if you don't show up, you know, they call your mom and dad. But yeah. in college, that's why I said, if they don't care if I come, then I don't care either. So I just didn't go. And I just I just didn't I didn't do anything. So I'm in I'm a, a paint salesman. A manager gets a hold of me and says, hey, you know what? I said, what? He says, you could be a manager. You could be a leader someday. I said, really? He said, yeah, I recognize something in you. So immediately I went out and bought a little skinny black tie and a little zip chain that they wear on their belt. You know, there were the keys because all the managers wore that stuff, you know, and yeah. I thought at least I could look like a manager, you know? And so I, I did that. And then, but, but they gave me encouragement. They started mm -hmm. to plant a vision. That's key. Okay. A vi the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. The NIV, which is the new Italian version, by the way, says where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, it's been said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. That's exactly what I was doing. OK, they gave me a vision and the company had a policy. They would they would pay for extension courses and for education. So they they told me I could go to UCLA, man. I mean, no small academic institution, right? So yeah. I went to UCLA and I, I thought if I'm going to be a leader, I need to know about people. I, I need to know what makes people tick. I want to be a responsible leader of people. I got to know this. So I enrolled in courses in behavioral science. I never got a degree, but I got an F to make me dangerous, especially to some psychologists. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm sitting under, now get this, Peter Drucker and Stephen Covey live. Now, many of your viewers, if they're young, may not remember those names, but they are giants to this day in that field. Okay. Uh, Peter Drucker is known as the management guru of, 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 of our country, certainly maybe around the world. And Stephen Covey um, uh, just, unbelievable men. I had the, the privilege of sin, sitting under these guys yeah. and listening to them. And then they started feeding me. And so I came out of that and my specialty was the impact of organizational culture and structure, including communication flows and policies and all of that, the impact of that on human capital. Uh, this is a place where a lot of organizations fail. They, 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 they put structure and policy in place with little regard to the impact of those policies on the people that work for them. So my specialty was the human dynamic. How are oh, people yeah. going to behave? And so I ended up uh, later on uh, going on the road and doing motivational speaking. That's where I cut my teeth in speaking was in the secular world. And so interestingly, at that time, I had a question that haunted me. Now, this is the key. Here's the question. 
Why is it that some people are happy, secure, successful, hitting on all cylinders, making a difference in their world? Okay. Why is it that some people are like that while others with seemingly the same gift set and background and all of that struggle? Why? What can we learn from this successful model that's transferable? It's, I mean, it's a basic business concept. What can I learn from this manufacturing process that will help this manufacturer? That kind of an idea. Okay. So I started researching. I never wrote a dissertation. I, I probably will put this in my next book, which is the working title is The Man God Intended. We're working on that now, but I never wrote a paper. But at that time, now I crashed and burned. If you've heard my testimony and I'm now, I find myself at a church called the church on the way in Van Nuys, California, being pastored by Jack Hayford. You talk about being privileged to sit under some of the giants wow. of the world, man. I was with Jack in his prime. If it weren't for him, I don't know where I would be. So I'm, I'm growing as a Christian. So here's what I did. I, I took that burning question and I shifted it to men. OK, because I, the Lord began to give me a passion for dealing with men. I spoke. I did a lot of motivational speaking. I, I did a lot of um, speaking to men who were in leadership uh, uh, in the business world back in those days. So the same question, why is it that some men are all of those things and other men would seemingly struggle? Why? And I discovered, and this is the key, three things in common with that man. Now, that man, I didn't put the words to it back then, it can be defined as a true disciple of Jesus Christ or the man God intended. That I didn't put that label on it back then, but that's really, in other words, if you're going to build this man, here are the three things that that man possesses. Number one, they know God intimately. And I yes. want to underscore the word intimate because most men, by the way, Ray, this, this number one is where the church in the Western culture has failed. We have failed to get men deeply rooted and grounded. If, 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 if those who are, who are watching this or in the sound of my voice right now, get nothing else out of this broadcast, this is the critical part. If you don't have this piece, you'll never move on. So the church is calling men, listen, to task without getting them the spiritual power to be able to complete that task. They're oh, completing wow. tasks in their own energy. And someone once said that sometimes your gifts can take you places where your character can't keep you. You know, uh, we can go get things done on our own energy, but without the without the power of God, without the spirit of God. I'm, I'm sorry, guys, it ain't, it's not going anywhere. So they know God intimately. What does that mean? What does that look like? Of course, we unpack that in our curriculum. It's spending time with God, being alone with God, reading the word, praying, praising, worshiping him every single day for as much time as it takes to, to sense his presence so that I'm deeply rooted in God. So they know God intimately. Number two, and this is the, this is the critical piece right now, because they know God intimately, they've successfully answered the two most important questions in life. My first book, Wired to Work, which is out of print right now, you might be able to find them somewhere on Amazon, but uh, Wired to Work, answering the two most important questions in life. And here are the two questions, how and why. Lord, how did you make me, Ray or Vince, uniquely? In other words, when you look at me, what do you see? 
Yes. Man, I don't know anybody that wouldn't want the answer to that question. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, Lord, now that I've discovered how you made me, why? And this is especially important for men because men need a vision. We need a purpose. We need, we need to know what a, the destiny that God has for us. If we, absent of that, we, we form our own visions and our own destinies. And they're visions that are oftentimes shaped by my circumstances or the world around me rather than by God. And then we wonder why I'm not satisfied. I call yeah. it vocational confusion. That happens when your vocational pursuits don't line up with the way God uniquely wired you and his unique purpose for your life. And so that's what we help men um, overcome. So they know uh, that they, they, they they're intimate with the Lord. They know exactly how and why God made them. And then number three, they're simply living the vision out. But that may sound like a, a, a simplified, um, you know, extension of the first two, but it really isn't. There are times when you can know the those first two, you can have those first two going on. But if you're not brave enough to take that step and go live it out uh, where God's calling you to go, you're going to be frustrated and, oh, yeah. and it's not going to work right. So 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 at the end of the day, we need to build men that know God intimately, know exactly how and why God made them and are living that vision out. And until we see that in a man. He's not the man God intended. So what we're doing in our ministry now is we have a kind of a take no prisoners mentality when it comes to our metrics. We're not measuring butts and chairs. We're measuring depth in men, that they're going deeper and, and that their wives are telling us they're noticing something. Uh, if that guy doesn't get up and go to that weekly meeting with those men, it, she kicks him out of bed to go to that meeting because it's, it's making a difference in his life. So that backdrop formed the original men on target seminar that we've been doing for, you know, 25 years. And the men on target seminar was unlocking or unpacking the five keys to unlock a man's true potential. And just real quickly, release, resistance, relationship, revelation, and response. Okay. Release has to do with letting go of the past, fear, anger, unforgiveness, guilt, shame, dealing with the father wound, all that stuff. If you don't deal with that stuff, if they can't let that stuff go, very difficult to have an intimate relationship with God. That's right. Res resistance has to do with resisting the temptations of the now. It's one thing to let go of the past. It's another thing to learn to resist the temptations of the now so that I don't accumulate more negative baggage to have to let go of. All right, well, man, I looked at porn. I am so sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. And, uh, you know, I'm just contrite about this. It's just, I know it breaks your heart. I'll never do it again. And only to, uh, you know, the next day or two when you're in a, a weak moment and you're a victim, you end up doing it again. So it's not just a matter of letting go of the past. It's learning how to live a disciplined, obedient right. life. Those are the first two. In order to get to the next three, which are the three things that I just mentioned. Um, relationship has to do with my relationship with God, intimacy with God, revelation, an understanding of how and why he made me, and response, how do I live that vision out now in a world that's gone crazy? So um, if, I don't know if you can see this logo, but our original logo uh, had uh, crosshairs. And back okay. in 2000, when we changed it, the crosshairs to me was an indication of a central point, a point in a target, you know, hit it and you're done. And I thought, okay, well, that's not that simple. Life is a process. So I had an artist come up with this rendering. And by the way, this, the, the, everywhere in nature, you'll find, I forget what they call this, 
spiral thing, but it's everywhere in nature. Yeah. So if you notice, it's a spiral to get to the point in the center. And uh, uh, my, my graphics guy just did a great job of doing this on a, on a, uh, well, here, I, well, I, that's right. I, I won't bother looking at it right now, but uh, it's like, if you start here down at the bottom, it's a, you know, relationship and then I move to revelation. And then as I get around to the bottom, how I respond. And then the dart that comes in at the end is now I've hit the target, the man God intended. Wow. And so it, the, the, the spiral target indicates that it's a process and there are some jagged edges along the way in oh, that yeah. process. So that kind of is the heart and the passion of what we're doing. And I, I'm getting ready to launch, uh, relaunch this nationwide. We, we started on target Institute with about 20 guys um, back in 2000 and, it, it, we outgrew the barn we were in. We went to an event center and got up to about a hundred. We went to a, an Italian restaurant, a big, big restaurant, took over the whole restaurant. Now, these were on Thursday mornings. Um, then we went to an event center, another event center. Then we went to the a gymnasium for a major church here in town. And we ended up with 250 to 300 guys every Thursday morning for years. Oh, that's and amazing. it was one of the healthiest things we ever did because we could see men right in front of us grow. And this is where I believe we need to be going in our culture if we're going to have any hope of advancing God's kingdom, uh, in which we're desperate for right now, by the way. And so that's why right now I feel kind of a sense of urgency, Ray, that um, the, tra the current trajectory of our culture is um, it's both exciting and scary exciting uh, from the standpoint that I, I think we're getting close to Jesus coming back, but scary um, when, it, when you consider how many people could be lost to this runaway um, uh, social uh, communistic culture, anti-God uh, culture. And so the, I, I feel a sense of urgency because I don't believe men today are prepared for what's coming. They're not prepared to be, first of all, the spiritual head of their home, to take yes. that rightful place. And then um, I believe we could see a day, certainly you may in your lifetime, where you'll be forbidden from meeting in church buildings. What that means is that that who who is going to take the church into the neighborhoods, which is where it belongs, by the way, who's going to do the house churches, who's going to lead those, if not our men? And um, most men are not prepared for that. They're looking for the professional leader or the pastor. And, and that's not what Jesus did. He, he's yeah. calling us all to do those things. Oh, anyway, yeah. as um, most Italians do, I went on too long. So I'll turn it back. No, to not you. at all. Not at all. I, I, I love that you had said these three simple words um, to sum up the, the entire, those five steps you said. It's a process yeah. because the tendency Vince, to be honest, is to go ahead and grab everything that you might put out in a, in a seminar or in some kind of course. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to be the band that I'm intended to be? Okay. One check two check. Okay. I did that. I released God. Good. Um, all right. Relationship. I got that one. And now I should be that man. Right. But you're pointing to a, a more important truth that, Hey guys, there's going to be jagged edges. This is a process. And this is nothing that you're going to st stuff into a microwave, put it on 30 seconds and expect anything good to come out of it. Right, I, right. Love, I love that. Yeah. I maybe got one, that, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I've got uh, one more thing that might um, be important to share uh, that might resonate with your audience. Please. It's something that happened to me personally um, a number of years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I was in a time of prayer. I get up every morning and I, I back then I was spending 45 minutes to an hour, uh, you know, reading the word. But again, what, what made me think of this is what you just said. It was, I, it was, I was, I was just checking off the box. Uh, I, I spent my private time with God. No, I spent my private time with my habit, not with God. Okay. Because that's what it can become. So I'm praying on this particular occasion. And I just, uh, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know how often you hear the Lord speak to you. I'm not talking about an audible voice, by the way, I'm saying that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that God whispered something to you because it's nothing your mind would have thought of that, that kind of a thing. So this is one of the most profound times I've ever heard him. And he said these words, or, or I said these words. I said, Lord, am I becoming the man you intended? Just a casual kind of a flippant question. And I fully expected him to say yes, you know, but he didn't. He said no. Mm. And I thought, all right, Lord, is that you? Or did I have a bad piece of pizza last night? I mean, what, yeah. you know, what's going on here? And, and, and I, ne- I never got the impression that he was angry or upset at me. In fact, I really felt like he was proud of me, but he was saying, you're missing something, Vince. There's something more. And he went on to say this. Now, this is really important. And then whenever I share this, especially with pastors and leaders, they just kind of kind of grit their teeth and say, whoa. I think you just read my mail. Here's what he said. He said, Vince, I have given you a platform from which to share the life and love of my son, Jesus, with others. Now, I usually pause here and say, please don't misinterpret what I mean by platform. Don't look at my platform as somehow being something more special than your platform, because every one of us has a platform. It doesn't matter. God is not impressed with numbers. It doesn't matter whether there's 40,000 guys or a hundred guys, or it's you in your living room with your two little boys. Okay. You have a platform. And here's what he said to me. He said, you, sir, are not taking that responsibility seriously enough. And it was like, oh my, it was like immediately I, I began thinking that, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm in a routine. I'm just being, I'm, life is managing me. I'm not managing life. I mean, it's just like, uh, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm more uh, interested in, you know, whether my PowerPoint presentation is right and all the, I mean, I, am I, am I really, really taking this seriously? I'm really focused on really what I'm called to do here. And then he went on and he, um, he challenged the time I was spending with him. He says, the, the time you're spending with me is not sufficient, Vince for you to have the power to be able to go out and make a difference, to really share. You can't know, you can't share my heart if you don't know my heart. And so from that day, here's what I did. And I, and I have men that are holding me accountable for this. I decided from that day forward to get up at five o'clock every day and from five to eight o'clock every day, three hours a day, I spend with the Lord reading the word, praying, worshiping, praising him, making notes. If I, if he shares something with me, I've got a whole bunch of reading stuff that I do. I I began to form a habit of doing that every single day. Now, 
Do I do it every single day at those hours? No, because of my schedule. But I average, I the minimum amount of time I spend is two hours. Uh, most often it's two and a half or three, and it's sometimes it's four or five hours a day. And I want to tell you something, Ray, it's changed my life. And, wow. and I know people listening to me right now are saying, oh my gosh, how do you get anything done? Well, here, here's the real question. How, how do you get anything done? Not doing that. Not do it. Yeah. What you're getting done is what you want to do. And if you read some of the old saints and, and what they used to do, they'd spend eight hours a day, 10 hours a day before God reading the word, studying the word. Uh, it, it was just amazing. And, you, and, and, and that's how, when you do that, you don't have to worry about anything else. God will give you whatever you need to get through that day, but you're going to be doing it the way he wants you to do it. You know, I, every morning when I get up, I say, Lord, good morning. Let's you and I go and have some fun today. And uh, I don't know what we're going to encounter, but I trust Lord that uh, it's going to be some really special things that you want to see accomplished. Help me be that instrument um, to, to get that done. And Lord, I choose to put you in front Someone once said, if God's your co-pilot, you might want to change seats. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, I, I just got a, an emotional response um, to you saying, um, to you saying that what the Lord spoke to you about your platform and you not taking it seriously enough. Um, and that, and I, to be honest with you, I felt dread when you just said that because it resonates with me. And I immediately was flooded with all of the ways that I could be doing better, but hold on. Here's my fault and the follow on to that, which brings even more dread. My fault is, okay, I now know what I could be doing better. Go do better. Ray, you go get her. The Marine Corps has, has, um, you know, given me enough confidence over the, over the last 10 years and told me enough times that I am a go-getter, that I am self-motivated. So I've internalized that as, okay, just got to go do it on my own will. I got to go take care of that, which means spend more time with my kids, more intentional time, spend more time with my wife, be more relational with the people that I work with. And even then I'd be missing the mark. God spoke to me yeah. and I'd still be yeah. missing the mark. Yeah. Which brings more dread because then it puts me in a vulnerable situation where I have no uh, immediate, I have control, but I have to acknowledge that it is not my own effort. It, it is not Ray. And probably uh, a good thing. Uh, if we're getting close to the end of our time, a good uh, closing uh, kind of an idea and quote from Oswald Chambers, uh, by the way, uh, his devotional, my utmost for his highest, probably other than the Bible that I've been reading that his devotional, my utmost for his highest every day for the last 40 or 50 years. And uh, it's just an amazing, amazing body of work. Uh, I highly recommend it. But one of his quotes says this, God will not do any more through you than you first allow him to do in you. And if, if we can just get that, if we can just pause and begin to realize, you know, uh, Tyrone Edwards says uh, humility, which is really what Jesus is looking for from all of us, by the way. Humility is not an abject, groveling, self-despising spirit. It is but a right estimate of ourselves as God sees us. And if we could only see ourselves through his eyes, uh, 
we would we would never fall into the trap uh, that says, boy, you're sure fortunate to have me, Lord. Look at all the good things I'm doing. And we don't say those things publicly, Ray, but that's how we think sometimes. And that's the opposite of humility. That's pride. When we, we, you know, I'm finding that my proximity to God is in direct relation to my distance from Vince. The closer I am to this guy, the farther I am away from him. When I can, when I begin to realize who he is and who I'm not, man, that changes the game, buddy. It changes everything. And that's what, that's where men need to come. Men need to come to that place. So my encouragement is find a healthy body somewhere where they're serious about discipleship. Go to our website, contact me, you know, just, you can email me, Vince at OTM.co, Vince at OTM.co, not.com, just CO. Our website is OTM.co. And I'd be happy to, maybe I know of a church in our database in your area I could point you to or, or point you to our curriculum. And, and maybe you could, you know, consider getting something like what we're got going in, in your area. It's not, it's not expensive. In fact, if you can't afford it, I'll give it to you. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is we need to grow. We need to grow. We're, God is desperate for that, particularly right now in our nation. Gentlemen, you heard it from Vince Dacchioli founder and president of On Target Ministries. And I hope that this episode helps you get on target with the man who God has created you to be. If you would like to help us get on target with some of the goals that we have established, you can go ahead and head over to iTunes and go ahead and leave us a five-star rating. Let me know what you think about this podcast. Let me know what you think about this episode here. Would love to get your feedback. Also connect with me on Instagram. See if we can stay on target together there at Ray De La Nuez. Gentlemen, until next time, continue to march.